Bibles tonight to the book of Luke chapter 10. <coughs> the book of Luke chapter 10. And I'm so grateful to see everyone here tonight pray while we preach that uh, we could uh, please the Lord and get done what the Holy Spirit wants to do. I want to thank again everybody who labored and participated in any way or shape in the services today. Uh, I tell you what, it's just amazing what God did and uh, how He brought it all around. And I tell you about, if, if, it, if that old boy said that was just tweet, that's going to turn into Tugger half a while. <laughs> that's sweet today. Yeah. Yeah. That's the best word I know to describe it. Yeah. Yeah. Was sweet in the Lord. Uh, have a deal here from, I got the found this over on my deal there, from, from Camp Joy, uh, 60th anniversary. So, dear friends, Liberty Faith Church. From its beginning, Camp Joy has been here to reach our young people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so many of you have been with camp since its beginning, praying, working, giving, and praying. And only when we get to heaven will we truly see what the Lord did at Camp Joy and beyond its gates. Think about how many young people came through the gates of camp in the last 60 years. I want to say again for this year, thank you to all the churches and individuals who gave to His work. Your abilities and availabilities are so wonderful. Also to the churches, kitchen staff, counselors, media, preachers, teachers, missionaries, activity staff, and groundskeepers. Every step you took was not in vain. Galatians 6, 9, and let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Amen. God started Camp Joy 60 years ago, not man. God gives us the burden, let Him lead. His burden is light and His yoke is easy. Love you all. And enclosed is a brief report of what God, the Lord did this year. The first week there were 128 campers, uh, 71 first-time campers, and 22 souls saved. Second week, 109 campers, 31 first-time campers, and four souls saved, and three assurance of salvation. In the third week there were 95 campers, 19 first-time campers, and three souls saved, and three rededications. And I tell you what, we rejoice with you, Van, on what God has done. Camp Joy and Condemn. I'll tell you about Camp Joy, about any work of God. It has to be God that starts it and God maintains it. Amen. And uh, he said, got a reminder here of the teen retreat on October 12th, 13th, and 14th, a Thursday through Saturday. And on Thursday, registration starts at 4 p.m. and we'll dismiss on Saturday around 3 p.m. The cost is $20. Van, can't you charge any more than that or not? But anyway, I love you all. May God bless you, Van Kelly. And uh, keep prayer, put, put Camp Joy on your prayer list throughout the year. All right, <laughs> taking our Bibles, don't forget to pray for the camp meeting coming up two weeks from today. Man, I tell you what, it seems to me like time flies when you're having fun, amen? I tell you what, I, I'm just enjoying what God's doing. Amen. I'm just going to enjoy what God's doing in the midst of a wicked, crooked, and perverse generation watching God do great things. And I tell you folks, let's just keep on that the best is yet to come. And, uh, but I want us to really pray for this camp meeting that God would do all that needs to be done in it and that He would honestly and truly be glorified. Uh, I'm going to ask tonight for all the men to stand and pray for me while I preach this message tonight. I'd like you to stand and pray. And I'm going to ask Brother Josh to pray for God's power. And I, here's what I want you to pray, men. I want you to pray that I will say nothing but what God would have me to say. That God would literally control my mind, my heart, my thoughts, my lips, my tongue. That nothing would be said apart from the leading of the Holy Ghost. But I want you to pray that I'd say all that He wants me to say. And uh, so, Brother Josh, if you'll pray for us tonight, please. 
Father, we just come to you in the name of Jesus, asking you, Lord, to purify our consciences. Lord, help us to be right with you so that we can pray. Lord, I pray that you deal with us if we have anything in our hearts that's unpleasing to you. Lord, we come to you in the name of Jesus, by the blood of the Lamb. We ask you for our Pastor Reggie right now, our pastor that you've given us, that you would touch him, Father, that you would fill him to the fullest, Lord, with your Holy Spirit. We pray, Lord, that you would anoint his lips, anoint his hands, his feet, his eyes, Lord. Anoint every part of him, Father God, to be your messenger. We pray, Lord, with the psalmist that you'd set a watch before his mouth, lest he utter any vain thing. Lord, tie his tongue, Lord, from saying things that you don't want him to say. Help him to say exactly what you want him to say. and Help him to stop, Lord, if he begins to say something and your Holy Spirit nudges him, Father. Give him total ability through your Holy Spirit to control his tongue. Lord, your word says the tongue can no man tame. Lord, but the Bible says that, Lord, our Jesus was a perfect man. And, Lord, we trust Jesus Christ in our pastor to do the work that only he can do and to use him, Father, and to fill him and to preach through him and to control his lips, Father. We ask you to do this in Jesus' name and for Christ's sake. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. And pray as we preach tonight. You may be seated. Uh, I want to say again to the daughters of this church. Uh, today, yes, it was a special day, but I want you to know that we still love you tonight. And God being our helper, we're going to love you all the way through, try to encourage you all the way through. And I think God, I think God kind of did a a, a plateau work. I think he raised us up a little bit higher ground and a deeper walk with God and a deeper work inside the church. Luke chapter two and verse number 27 tonight, verse number 27. He, uh, and he answering, uh, let's back up to verse 25. Let's go to verse 25 and get started there. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, the Holy Ghost has told us this lawyer did not stand up to really get an answer about anything. What he wanted to do was trip Jesus up and make Jesus look bad. And he tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he, Jesus, said unto him, What is written in the law? Well, that's a pretty good question. You're a lawyer. What's written in the law? How readest thou? And this guy comes back in verse 27, and, he, and I'm going to tell you something. He didn't know the Bible very well. Yeah. And he answered a problem that's with most people. He did not give. I mean, Jesus said he's right in a sense, but he's wrong in a sense. And we're going to look at it. He answering said, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. And he, Jesus, said unto him, thou hast answered right. It wasn't that in, in legalistic terms, it wasn't that that was wrong. The problem was nobody can do it. Amen. There's nobody you know, nobody sitting in this church or standing in this church, or nobody except Jesus Christ who kept the law perfectly. That's right. Amen. And you ain't going to do it. And, and, uh, and that sounds good, but it won't save you. Because the question he asked was, how can I have eternal life? That was the question. Now, if he was able to keep the law perfectly and love the Lord his God with all his heart, all his soul, all his mind, and love his neighbor as himself, yeah. He wouldn't need a savior. Amen. That's the deal. Where he was going with this thing is he didn't need Jesus and he was going to try to prove he didn't need him. And so Jesus 
looking at verse 29 will tell you the whole story. But he, the lawyer, willing to what? Justify himself. That's people's problem. Amen. They want to justify themselves by claiming that. I'm going to tell you something. Now, you can keep all your Saturday Sabbaths and you can all that stuff you want to. And it ain't going to save you. It, you can keep all that Ten Commandments. For by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified. Amen. I'm telling you something. Uh, thank God this is a grace church. Amen. Amen. This, is a, this, is a, this is Mount Zion church, not Mount Sinai. Amen. This is Mount Calvary, not Mount Sinai. Sinai is where the law was and Calvary is where grace was at. Amen. So this mountain, this mountain we're going to camp out on is Calvary. Amen. But he's wanting to justify himself. And then he asked this question. Unto Jesus, who is my neighbor? Now, I'm going to preach tonight a message that uh, the best neighbor you're ever going to have. I tell you, I've had good neighbors down through the years, and I'm thankful for them. Somebody has said, if you want to have good neighbors, be a good neighbor. But uh, he hears, love thy neighbor as thyself, and Jesus is going to answer that situation. I'm going to tell you who's going to be the best neighbor you're ever going to have. And I hope we'll have a good time in this tonight. And I hope the Holy Ghost will help us to preach. And I want you to, now I want to tell you something about this Bible. The older I get, and some of you probably, especially you preachers, have been kind of probably wondering about me and my, my attitude about brevity and getting that message short and quick and hitting it and going. The older I get, the more I see that, you see, like the Gettysburg Address is very short. It's one of the most famous speeches in human history. Brevity with detail is very powerful. Jesus, over and over again in all the parables and the stories that he related to convey spiritual truths was very brief and very detailed. That's one of the reasons they were so powerful. And they always related into things people could understand easily. Yeah. He didn't make things complicated. Yeah. And that's my heart and desire. I, I, I probably don't have long, live long enough to get there as a preacher, but I'd like to. But I want you to see this picture tonight of who is your best neighbor. Now, Jesus answered in verse number 30, said, A certain man went down from, Jer from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed on by on the other side. And likewise, a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him, and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion on him and went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And on the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pence and gave them to the host and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. Amen. Which now these three, thinkest thou, was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? Now I want you to notice that in verse 29, the lawyer said, that Jesus said he was trying to justify himself. Mercy is opposed, is just the opposite of justice. If I get justice tonight, I'm hell bound. But I found mercy at the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Mercy by its very definition and by its very, very nature is saying that I'm receiving something I did not deserve. I had no merit to receive that. I received mercy. I should have got justice, but I got mercy. I want you to notice what Jesus answers this lawyer. He said, which of that, these three things thou was on him that fell among thieves? And he, the lawyer said, he that showed mercy. What did Jesus do with this lawyer? He gave him the gospel in a way that this lawyer could understand it. And he broke down and chopped down and knocked down his self-righteousness. And he made him answer his own mouth what the real answer to his problem was. He said, mercy. Jesus said, that's right. You see, you don't want justice, you want mercy. Now, so in this here brief story that Jesus related is the story of the gospel. And I want to preach on that tonight. The Bible said, first of all, in verse number 30, that Jesus answering said, a certain man. You know, we had daughter day to day and there's something I wanted the girls to know that they're special and they're certain. They're not just one among 10 million or 3 billion people. I'm going to tell you something tonight. God deals with certain people. God just does it. Everybody is an individual. It seems like this country is trying to get everybody just as a mass ball. You're just nobody among a, among a, a pile of maggot human beings or something. You have no individuality. We're losing individuality. That's a ploy of Satan. You are an individual created of God, uniquely designed. There's nobody like you in this world. And the Bible said that Jesus died, tasted death for every man. The Bible Bible said that he knows the numbers of the hairs upon your head. We must never forget giving the gospel that that individual person that you may think there's no hope for or there's no basis to, that person, Jesus died for them. And God sees them not as just somebody in a pile of people. God sees them individual. I'll tell you today that there was a, someone spoke to me today in, in appreciation about this thing and God was so good to us. But they said to me, Reggie, I, I, I so appreciate this service today because I, in a way, had begun to feel like I was just part, I was just part of a group, you know, and, and what does God have for me here at church? And what am I supposed to do? And my life doesn't count much. And it made me realize my value as an individual before God Almighty. Can I tell you tonight that God says a certain man, that means an individual specific person, Christ tasted death for every man. You're important tonight. God ain't just going by and seeing multitudes and missed you down there somewhere. God's died, Jesus died for everybody. Amen. And everybody is a certain person. Do not allow yourself to live, to believe the lie that God doesn't know you individually. Amen. He knows your address. Amen. He knows your name. Yes. He made your DNA. Yes, he designed you. He created you. Do not fall into the trap that you're just part of a mass of humanity. That's what the devil wants you to think. He wants you to think that God does not, he saves you individually, created you individually, saves you individually. Let me just tell you something. I'm not talking about building up self and self-worth and all that kind of junk. I'm talking about how God sees you. He sees you as a certain person. The Holy Ghost can come down in the midst of this church tonight and deal with one person and talk to one person and help one person and he wants to talk to you, amen. A certain man, amen. It's no accident. 
Hebrews 9, 27 said this, it's appointed unto man wants to die. And after this, the judgment, you're going to die individually. You're going to face judgment individually. We need to get back in our Christian faith again, the importance of individuality. That's why your founders and the forerunners of our country, they understood individual worth before God Almighty. Being endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I'll tell you something. There's some things the government can't take away from you what it didn't give to you. And they're not the ones who gave us our rights. They're not the one who gave us our value before God Almighty. And that's the beauty of this country. And what our founders wanted us to see is the Christian faith importance about an individual's not just that he's created by God and loved by God, but he has individual responsibility and individual accountability before God. And you are going to meet God at judgment, not in mass, but individually. I'm glad God looked down on a certain boy born down Booger County, barefoot running after cows, milking cows and hauling hay and killing copperheads. (laughs) I'm glad God of all the people in Europe and Asia and Africa and South America and North America that God looked down in the Ozarks and saw a little boy down there that needed to be saved. His name was Reg Kelly. I'm glad that God saw me not as a mass of people. I'm glad he saw me as an individual. And if you're listening to me tonight and you're lost, I want you to know that God had you on his mind when he sent Jesus Christ to the cross. And when Jesus said, you ought to be a shout amen. I tell you what, you ought to be happy in God. That when God died, he had you in mind. And there had been no Nobody else in this world that needed a savior and nobody else in this world that needed a, 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 a salvation. Christ would have died for you if you'd have been the only person on the globe. Amen. 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 I'm tired of this throwing everybody in a bucket of mass. I'm sick of it. A certain man and every one of you and every one of you listen to me and every person is a certain person I don't care whether they're in Africa tonight or in Europe I don't care if they're on the, uh, the North Pole they're people Jesus died for that God loves and God wants to save well we go on down through there and we see here number two that this certain man went down well he's, this certain man is a picture of a lost man because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God and I will tell you about sin it ain't going to take you up. It's going to take you down. And if you keep messing with it, it's going to ultimately take you down to hell. Amen. It pictures a sinful lost man going down to hell. Sin always takes you down. Never lifts you up. It always takes you down. It pictures a man that's down in sin and depravity. And by the way, he's coming from Jerusalem. And by the way, can I tell you that this is geographically correct? And by the way, can I tell you further that every time God gives a geographic description in his book, when you go check it out geographically, it's exactly like the Bible said. You go down from Jerusalem to Jericho. It ain't up to Jericho. It's down to Jericho. And it's a picture of leaving and man having fallen into sin under the curse, leaving the presence of God and headed to hell. Well, sin will take you down in every way. Man is not, I'll tell you something. Now listen, I I call Ronald Reagan and he's got a speech from 1964 that everybody ought to listen to. But in that speech is something I don't like worth nothing. They ought to cut it out as far as I'm concerned. Because he talks about man in his long journey from the swamps to the stars. Well, dear friend, I tell you, man is not on a long journey from the swamps to the stars. Number one, the swamps is a reference to evolution. Now, 
Some of you think I'm after the Democrats. I'll tell on the Republicans too. Amen. And he talks about being, he talked about being on a journey to the stars. I'm going to tell you something. I'm not, listen, I'm going to heaven, not to stars. And I'm not on my personal journey getting that sounds like Mormonism or something to me, some kind of a celestial deal. But I'm going to tell you something about sin will take you down. Amen. Sin will take you down to hell. I never seen anybody in my life that kept walking on in their sin, but what they kept going down and down and down. And there's an old saying, when you get to the bottom, maybe you'll start looking up. But that's what sin will do for you. It's not going to take you up. Sin's not going to make you better. Sin's not going to take you to heaven. It will take you down. And the Bible says explicitly down. Now he said from Jerusalem to Jericho, and then he did something. When you're on a journey of sin, you're lost in sin, there's something going to happen to you. You're going to fall among thieves. And the Bible said he fell among thieves. Well, it's three thieves that I can think of tonight. Start with, there's the devil and the flesh and the world. And they'll steal for everything you've got from you. I don't tell you, they'll rob you of your hope. They'll rob you of your soul. They'll rob you of your home. They'll rob you of your marriage. They'll rob you of your loved ones. They'll rob you of your purity. They'll rob you of your mind. They'll rob you of a sound mind and senses. They'll rob you of your future. And by the way, a sin will cause you to fall among the thieves of this world. Steal everything precious that you ever knew about. I want to tell you something. Listen to me tonight. My heart is broken over these inner cities where they're showing these pictures of these people on this new fentanyl. And it's this uh, cattle, tra- what do you call it? Uh, uh, some kind of drug now that's just, I mean, I mean it's everywhere in these inner cities. Uh, it, it's a uh, tra- huh? Academy. And, and, and what it is, it's animal, uh, it's trans, what do you call it? Tranks. Tranquilizer. Yeah, yeah twank. That's what they call it. And this stuff's everywhere. And literally it's turning people into zombies. And I watched some of these films that they're taking in the inner cities, these people that's on this stuff. And they'll be like this. The people laying all around them. Curled up here. Curled up there. My God, what in the world is happening in this country? Yeah. Let me tell you what we ought to do with our military is go straight into them places, find every drug pedal there is, yeah. hang them on the spot if they got drugs on them. I tell you, you can shed drugs. Hey, can I tell you, we're going to get on this pretty soon. I'm going to tell you something right now. God can break you a drug so fast, make your head swim. Amen. I'm telling you right now, if we'd send in there and say, we're not going to let that you, you drug heads and drug peddlers and pharmaceutical companies poison the people of this country, amen. You better get your hide out of town and you better get out of here fast because if we catch you with this stuff, we're going to hang you on the spot. Amen. Now, I know that ain't poor jury. I'll, I'll tell you what to do. I'll give you a jury. All right, okay. I'm going to tell you something right now. That's sad and sick. Can I tell you something? Some of you kids sit in this church think I'd never be you. You keep messing with sin. You keep rejecting Jesus Christ. I'm going to tell you something. You'll get somewhere someday and somebody will put something in your drink. Somebody will put something in your food or they'll get you kind of hyped up and say, hey, here, try this. And you'll try it and you won't know where you're at. You won't know what you're doing. But I'm going to tell you most of the drugs out there today, one pop and you're hooked. One pop and you're hooked. Be careful. Amen. Don't play around with sin. Amen. Don't fall among thieves. Yeah. I want to tell you something. Immorality will rob you of your purity. Amen. It'll rob you of a clear conscience. It'll rob you of, it'll rob you of freedom. It'll rob you of the joy of fellowship with your parents. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Amen. It'll rob you. Amen. Let me tell you about sin. It'll rob preachers from the pulpit. Amen. Yes, sir. 
Rob daddies from the family. Sin will get you. It'll rob you. The devil and the world and the flesh will steal and rob us. Now I want you to know the next thing they did. The Bible said there in verse number 30, 30, uh, what, 30, he said, when they fell among thieves, what'd they do to him? They stripped him. What happened to Adam and Eve when they sinned? Naked. Stripped you of your dignity. Stripped you of your good sense. Strip you of your natural inhibitions. Sin will strip you. But let me tell you, D, it's a deeper picture than that. We have been stripped by sin of the righteousness clothing that Adam and Eve had on them in the Garden of Eden. That was taken away from them. Satan stripped them. That's why when I see people go naked, I know they've been among thieves. They've been stripped. You ever hear of a strip joint? Yeah. I want to ask you a question. I'll show you how far down sin can take you. What in the world has to happen to a young lady to become a pole stripper and work in a strip joint? You're talking about taking you down to the pits. I'll tell you, I, I don't know, be honest with you, I was so tired and I left today. I thought, Lord, I couldn't preach a mouse this afternoon. If you, I couldn't preach like, I, I would have the energy to preach. A, and about five o'clock this evening, the Holy Ghost got a hold of me and said, I want you to preach something tonight. And I said, God, well, if I'm going to, you're going to have to give me some energy, amen. And I think he has. But I'm telling you right now, sin will strip you, amen. It'll strip you of all that is beautiful and wonderful and glorious and happy. Sin will strip you, amen. I'll tell you, drink, drinking will strip you. Drugs will strip you. It Morality will strip you. I don't tell you, stealing will strip you of your dignity, of your conscience. I tell you, when the devil's done with you, he'll leave you stark naked of your soul and your spirit and your body if you're not careful. Look at the next thing down the street to Mother's Raymond. Wounded him. I tell you, sin will wound you. You know what's the matter with America? It's full of wounded people. That's the honest truth. Sin has so wounded people, so wounded people. I mean, they're so broken up inside. They're going to drugs and everything else trying to keep you to heal the wounding of their hearts. Let me tell you something. You, you ever got, you ever got uh, uh, someone you love has left you, man, it wounds you. There's a lot of things can wound you. This country is full of wounded spirits. And the Bible said, a wounded spirit, who can bear? Let me tell you something about a wounded spirit. Only God Almighty can heal a wounded spirit. And I want to tell you something in this church today. If you're here, you walk in this church, you listen online, and your spirit is wounded, I pray that this church will be visited by the Holy Ghost of God with the balm of Gilead and apply it to the wounds of your heart and the wounds of your soul. You may have been wounded in the house of your friends. You may have been wounded by your family. You may have been wounded by your church. You may have been wounded. I don't care how you've been wounded. But I want to tell you, God can heal a wounded heart. Amen. But anyway, he was wounded. That's what sin will do to you. Amen. It'll wound you. And then you know what they'll do? Look at that word, departed. Now I'm going to ask you all of something. Is this not a in brief story where every word counts? They departed. When the devil's done with you, he'll leave you in the ditch and laughing at you at how stupid you were to walk down in sin and come into his territory. And he'll leave you. I'm going to tell you something. Girls, ask any man in this building. They'll tell you the truth. Men are known, especially as young men, for the idea of how many girls they can be with before they get married. 
That's American sick culture. They identify manhood as how many women you can conquer. In fact, if it is, there are literally genuine surveys where young men have been surveyed and asked, what will make you a man? And the answer of most American young men is, if I can conquer a girl physically, if I can talk her in to giving herself to me. You better wake up. Now I'm going to tell you the back side of that story. The second part of that is that those young men will walk away from you. That's a fact. They'll depart just like that Bible said. Let me tell you girls why. You'll have no value. You gave yourself away for nothing. They're not looking for a girl with no value. You just throwed yourself away. Why would I want you? You don't even have any self-worth. You don't have self-value. Just well be honest about it. Let me tell you about your drug dealer. After he's got you the drugs, got you hooked, messed your life up, he will walk off. You die and they have you funeral down there and some preacher gets up and lies about you. And the family's crying, where's the drug dealer? Departed. Hey, when you get drunk as a skunk and have a wreck, does the beer joint owner come down to your funeral and send flowers and tell the family how sorry he is? What does sin do? It departs. They'll leave you wounded. And by the way, it says half dead on the highway in the ditch. Wake up. Wake up. Fell among them, stripped him, wounded him. Then they departed him like trash in a ditch. Then he said he left him how? Half dead. Look down in the last part of verse 30. Half dead. I used to look at that and I thought, boy, I'll tell you what, what's half dead? <laughs> Some evenings I felt like that, amen. I would drop in the house and dropped out, I'm half dead. But there's a spiritual truth to this. You and I are under a physical sentence of death. But that's just half of it. The other half is the second death in the lake of fire. And if somebody doesn't get to you while you're still half dead, You'll wind up all dead in the lake of fire. Spirit, soul, and body. So when Jesus gave this, he's exactly accurate about what he's talking about. Left him half dead. After being attacked, after being robbed, after being wounded, leave him like trash, half dead. Now I want you to watch now. We're going to start seeing some things about how Jesus is going to teach this lawyer something. He didn't just, boy, this stuff is tight. I mean to bite. Look at verse 31. And by chance, there came down a certain priest. Now when that lawyer heard about the priest coming by, he perked his ears up. Because the priest was an executor of the law. He had to do with the law of God. Now watch what he did. He said when he saw him, who? When the priest saw this man that was half dead, been wounded, robbed, left for dead. When this priest saw him, look what he did. Passed by on the other side. He's going down the road to Jericho. Good land to live. Woo! Boy, that boy in bad shape. I can't do nothing for him. Listen to me, there's a picture there. God's telling you the law cannot save you. The law cannot fix you. I can get up here and preach law every Sunday night, every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, and you'll die and go to hell. The law cannot fix you. That's what God wants you to know. He, you know what he's doing? He's telling that half-cocked fancy lawyer that your knowledge of the law 
and your application of the law, which was love the Lord thy God with all the heart, all thy soul, all thy mind, love thy neighbor as yourself, and puffed his chest out, you're going to die and go to hell. Because you haven't done that yourself. And you're not keeping the law. And you're going to die and go to hell. And the law, will watch this, you know what all the law will do? Just watch you die. Go on the other side. You better get that one. Law cannot help you. I said a while ago, you can go to church every Saturday to dime, between now and time you die. You'll bust hell wide open. For by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified. No, I don't justify nobody with the law. And that old priest come by, and whoo, he's, you know what a law can do? He can say, man, he's in trouble. Yeah. Boy, he's hurt. Man, he's been butchered up. They worked him over. The law could say, why, if somebody don't get to him, he ain't, he ain't going to make it. <laughs> but that's all the law can do. You sit there and talk to him and tell you how bad a shape you in. Yeah. Well, the next guy comes by. Look at that next guy come by. A Levite. So, oh, oh law, man, he went on down the road. He couldn't do nothing for him. Law can't save you. God can't help you. So here comes another guy called the Levite. And the old Levite, he's hopping down the road. And good land, see some blood on the side of the road. Looks like, oh, good grief. Boy. The Bible said, what did he do? Pass by on the other side. You know what a Levite stands for? Ceremony. Hang tight. Hang tight. People tell you, you got to get baptized to be saved. That's ceremony. That's ceremony. Catechism. Come on. All that stuff that they want you to do, the ceremonies. Yeah. We're going to have a candlelight service. It's going to get so spooky spiritual, you won't believe it. <laughs> Ceremony. Swing your buckets. Have your baby dedications. Amen. I don't save nobody's soul. And churches are super at having ceremonies. Ceremonies. That stuff don't save you. That old Levite came by. He couldn't say he couldn't do a thing for that lost man. And the ceremony cannot do a thing to save your soul. Cannot heal your wounds and restore your life to you. You listen to this. American churches are full of ceremony. I'm going to throw something at you. Instead of preaching the word of God, we're now all you hear about is our praise and worship service. I'm for praise. I'm for worship. I'm not negating that. But when you start doing that to get away from the preaching of God's word and the proclaiming of God's word, there's a reason you're doing that. You're substituting truth and righteousness and the work of the Holy Ghost in the heart to purification to making yourself feel good because you went and praised and worshiped. Ceremonies. That old priest couldn't do anything. The Levite couldn't do anything. He looked at, look at him, passed him by. I'm going to tell you something. The Lord's Supper can't do nothing for you. If you depend on the Lord's Supper to save you, you'll die and go to hell. That's a ceremony. You can be confirmed. By the way, you can get Benny Hinn to slap you goofy. Die and go to hell. Get slain in the spirit. Die and go to hell. Speak in tongues. Die and go to hell. 
Yes, sir. Amen. Quit telling everybody they got to do this and do that. That's Levitism. That's ceremonies and stuff like that and things that does not save. And one thing saves a man. It's the blood. The sacrifice, the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And God help us to get away from ceremonies and, and, and the Levite and the priest and the law and all the junk that's binding people up and taking them to hell. Amen. Well, but you get to verse 33 and things start changing. The old boy said there's a new sheriff comes to town. Verse number 33, a certain Samaritan. Now, I tell you what, I asked myself, Brother Josh, why in the world did the Holy Ghost say a certain Samaritan? Because the Samaritans were mixed. Jews and Gentiles. They were up there in the north and the Jews despised them. Okay. Remember the woman at the Samaritan woman at the well? She was shocked at Jesus even speak to her. I'm a Samaritan. We don't have no dealings. Now hang on to your hat. Jesus said, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now, some of you new folks think you're in a nice church, but you're not. You ain't been here long enough to find out how sorry and worthless and low down us old hillbillies are. I'm telling you the truth. And by the way, did you know that the official name of this church is the first, first church of the salvage yard? That's the official name on the record at Hartville. I'm lying to you. We don't have nothing over Hartville. This is a salvage yard. This is a place where people that are hurting and lost in sin and dying without God can come and get help. Amen. We're not in here to have a big ceremony to make you feel good. That can't help you. A certain Samaritan. Now look what he did. A certain Samaritan. By the way, Jesus tore down the wall between the Jew and the Gentile and reconciled them. And the church is made up of saved, born again Jews and Gentiles. A picture of the Samaritan and a picture of of, of that which the world despises and don't like. I don't want Jesus being the one to help me. I'd rather have the law. I'd rather have the ceremonies. I don't mind doing that stuff, but I don't want to admit I'm a sinner and I need a savior. So anyway, here he comes. He journeyed. He came to where he was. Amen. 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 The world, boy, I tell you what, this is shouting ground. He came to where I was. Hey, I couldn't go to where he was. I couldn't get to God. But he came, how many of you, he came where you was, amen? He came where you was, amen. Aren't you glad we got a a Savior who came where we was? I was telling some men today, they talking about daughters, and I was talking about how I met Karen and so forth. I'm honest to goodness with you, I hate to tell you, but when I met Karen, I was a drunk. I was a drunk. I wouldn't have admitted it, but I was a drunk. I was a wino. And the last thing I remember before God really ever got a hold of me was being at a party one night and got so drunk and vomiting, crawling around on my knees amongst some trees. And I do not know how I got home that night. But I'm going to tell you something. This song is truth, believe it or not. I'm drunk as a skunk, vomiting on my knees. And a still small voice said, are you going to go on and just con- destroy yourself? And I got up from there the next morning and I called the airport and got a ticket to uh, 
Colorado Springs, Colorado, and I had something inside me that said, just get out of here. Just get away. Get out of here before you, before you wind up dead. Got a lady that did clothes washing, wash my clothes. And uh, this is God's truth. Karen can verify this. I stopped at the Panther Freeze in Mountain Grove to get something to eat before I drove to Springfield. And I had met her one time. And something just inside just clicked. And lo and behold, of all the people in the world could have drove up on bicycles, her and her best friend drove up on bicycles. Now, this is bad, boys. Don't ever do this. <clears throat> I remember I was lost, okay? I asked her if she wanted to go to Colorado with me. Thank God she didn't. Amen. Amen. I literally asked her. I was going to buy her a ticket, put her on a plane with me. That's how sorry and low down I am. Are you listening to me? You think I'm a good preacher? You think I'm a good guy? Let me tell you something. I'm the piece of trash that God reached down and came where I was in my, in my filth, in my, in my drinking, in my wickedness, in my sin, in my, I mean, you talk about garbage pile, should have been in hell stuff. You're looking at it here tonight. I am not, man, I'm telling you what, I, I, God, I, I'm so glad that God reached down and came where I was. I'm so glad he came down. And I'm going to tell you something. That's what he does for everybody. He comes where you're at. He doesn't say, yeah, we say come to Christ. That's true. But the honest truth about it is before he invites you to come to the cross, he comes to you and wants to lead you to the cross. Hey, how many can say he came where I was? Amen. Aren't you glad he didn't say, now listen to me. This is where people's messed up. The world of religion says, now clean up, straighten up, quit this, quit that and do all this. And then possibly I'll talk to you about salvation. No. God wants to save you and get a hold of you where you're at. Now, I'm not proud of that. And I'm ashamed to have to preach that. I'm ashamed to have to say that. But the older I get, the more I look back in the rearview mirror and all I can see is somebody should have been in hell. Had it not been that Jesus came to where I was. And I'm going to tell you something right now. <laughs> hey, I want to remind you tonight, you may be lying in immorality and he can come where you're at. I had a man tell me one time, I said, I don't believe God coming to a beer joint where I'm at. You listen to me. God go right straight into a beer joint. Amen. He'll walk straight into a beer joint. He'll walk straight into a casino and the Holy Ghost will come to where you're at. Amen. And I'll say, what are you doing? You're destroying yourself. You're killing yourself. I'm glad. I'll tell you. I'm glad. You know what? It's a long journey, but I tell you, he kept coming to where I was at. Amen. I'm not going to stand up here tonight. I tell you, I'm sick of this business. I don't, I don't like put on. I don't like fakery. I'll tell you what, I'm a sinner that should have been in hell. And I'm saved by the grace and the mercy of God Almighty. And I don't want nobody in this church thinking any different. Somebody told me last night about one of the grandchildren, a little bitty tag guy here in church. And and something about he saw my picture. He said, there's God. She said, I had to straighten him out on that. (laughs) 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 That's pretty rough. (laughs) Hey, if you saw me... I sometimes, does anybody like me wish you could live the rest of your life in church? I do pretty good in church. <laughs> but it's when I leave church that I have a problem. Hey, man. I was going to say, Lord, just let me stay in church. I'm doing pretty good so far today. 
Yeah, come on. Well, I'll tell you, I'm glad he came where I was at. Amen. Yeah. The Bible said he journeyed. Look what he did there. He said he, he, he had, he said certain Samaritan as he journeyed. That word journeyed is in there for Jesus journeyed from heaven down to earth. He left the glory land. Amen. And came down to where you and I was. He took a journey of salvation to be our Savior. And he came to where he was. I tell you what, man ought to preach on him. He came to where he was all night long, but I can't do that. And he said, then when he saw him, <laughs> I told you he likes you as an individual. You ain't just another blob on the, on the screen. He saw him. Can I tell you now, Jesus sees you. Sister Kelly, God's Always has eye on you. You know what I like that old song? His eyes on the sparrow. Amen. Amen. He knows that every sparrow falls. Yes, he, does. he sees it. Yes. I want you to think about the God we're preaching about tonight. Yes. He sees. Yes. Yes. He didn't just see him. He saw him. <laughs> I don't know whether that's good English or not. <laughs> but what it means here is deeper than just seeing somebody and moving on. He saw him. And I thought about, Kelly, how God has had his eye on the sparrow. He's had his eye on you. And I want to tell you tonight, I know he ain't worth a dime. Where's your son, where's your son at? Oh, he back up there. Oh, that's a good place to be hid from the preacher tonight. And you ought to be sitting down here by this new wife, you rascal, you. No. What a blessing Amen. that boy is. His wife's going... <laughs> I'm lying, ain't I? She's nodding her head. You still like him if you have to be married to him? Well, I'll tell you, ain't that a sight. Don't worry about it, sister. The honeymoon will go. <laughs> no, don't ever let the honeymoon get over. Amen. Keep her going. Amen. Keep her going. But I'm going to tell you, aren't you so glad tonight that God sees you? How deep can God see? How deep can he see? You reckon he sees your fears? You reckon he sees your worries? Your frustration? You reckon he sees your failures? You reckon he sees your sin? You reckon he sees your heart? You reckon he sees your desires? Do you suppose he even sees your weakness? Boy, I'm glad I serve a God tonight who came to where I was and sees me with truth. I want you to look at the next phrase. When God came to me, Sister Lord, I like that Irish name. You married a good Irishman, amen. I saw your sons. Where, you got that shirt. Where, you got that jacket. You got that? On the green one, the Irish one. Boy, I like it. Get me one of those. I like that. I, I tell you what, I like it. Irish are drunks and mean. Amen. <laughs> Anyway, where was I at? We came where with. What's what's the next? What's the next thing it says? I'm glad. You know what kind of God we got now? Oh, did you get this? I'll tell you, this is shouting ground. He didn't come over and say, "Why you low down, sorry, good for nothing skunk, laying there in the ditch." That's what you get for going down. That's what you get for messing around with sin. Up, you get your hide back up to Jerusalem. Get up from there. Jerked him by the hair and the head and the map of the neck. Get yourself back up to Jerusalem. What's your Bible say? Don't you ever forget this about God. What did he do? He had compassion on him. 
Don't you ever forget that our Lord Jesus Christ is the most compassionate neighbor you're ever going to know. When everybody else is done with you, given up on you, quit you and said, I've had enough of them. He's going to have compassion on you. I want to tell you about true compassion is more than talk. What's your Bible say the next thing happened? He had compassion. I just want you to know that I could quit preaching right here. You ought to go home, just lift your hands up over still and say, bless God, I got, a, I, got a, I got a neighbor. I got the best neighbor in the world. He has compassion on me. When I was down and, down and out and wounded and hurt and dying and going to hell, he had compassion upon me. He had compassion upon me. God help us to never get so cocky that we don't appreciate the compassion of Jesus Christ. We get to where we act like we don't need the compassion of God. Every morning I wake up, I need God's compassion. Every day of my life, I need God's compassion. I'll tell you something, I'm thankful for God's compassion, amen. And then it says, he had compassion. Now let me show you the difference between true compassion and false compassion. False compassion will say, well, I sure do feel sorry for you. Hope you get along better. <laughs> That's Rich Kelly. I hope you're doing better. I hope you do better. We'll be praying for you. See you later. What do you do? Read your Bible. Went to, went to him. That old priest went around him. That old Levite went around him. Couldn't help him. The Samaritan comes. He comes to where he was. Had compassion on him and went to him. Now I'm going to ask him, what do you have to do to get to him? You got a man in a ditch. Yeah. A man can't help himself. What's your Bible say? What's the next thing? Bound up his wounds. You know what binding up wounds has to do? You just don't, you, you know, you just don't take a wound and just start wrapping it up. You're going to kill him. Bounding up wounds has a lot implied to it. The first thing it has to imply is cleansing. Now hang on to your hat. Because when Jesus comes to you, the very first thing he's going to do in his compassion is wash you. Unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins with his own blood. The first thing God will ever do with you when he comes to you where you're at is not wrap up your sin and cover it all up. He's going to open that wound up and wash that filth out of there. He's going to wash you. And here's the problem. Everybody wants to be fixed by Jesus, but they don't want their filth cleaned out. They do not want to repent. They don't want to let God get inside where the, where the trouble's at. Oh, I'm telling you, I tell you, this, this, this Bible is something else. Amen. Ain't nothing like it in the world. Does anybody know where I was at? Went in bound up his wounds and then he does something he pours oil well you know that oil speaks of the Holy Ghost in the Bible Amen. so the, hey, you come up here not this old altar and say God I'm a wounded man down on the way to Jericho sin has wrecked me and ruined me and robbed me and God would you come to where I'm at God to come to where you're at and the first thing he's going to do is clean you up the second thing he's going to do is pour the oil in. Oil is a picture of the Holy Ghost to God and God will pour his spirit into your life. Being born again of the spirit of God. Everything God does, he does by the power of the Holy Ghost, by the oil of God. And that Holy Ghost power is an oil that will cleanse and heal and soothe and help. Oh, I'll tell you what. What we should do is preach on these little phrases every week, see, but that'd take too long, and I don't want to do that. Pour it in oil, amen. 
You went to him. I'll tell you something right now. We need to get a hold of this. Now, let's keep going here for a little bit and I want to get into something. He went to him, verse 34, and bound up his wounds, pouring in all. And then I like this next one, and wine. Now, wine in the Bible speaks of two things. One is the blood. Communion, you have the wine, blood. But the other is joy, the Holy Ghost. Wine speaks of joy. Be not drunk with wine where it is excess, but be you filled with the Spirit. And I'll tell you something. God wants you to have the joy of the Lord. And what God will do is clean you up put the Holy Ghost within you and give you the joy of God in your soul in the midst of this crazy, stupid world. I tell you, I'm glad I can have the joy of the Lord as my strength. I'm glad that there's joy unspeakable and full of glory. I'm going to tell you something. God will pour that into your heart and pour that in his soul. And here's what bothers me. Got a lot of people claim to be saved and never seen any joy in them. That bothers me. That bothers me. Amen. I tell you what, you got a $50,000 truck sitting out there. You got a $180,000 home. You got $400 boots on your feet and you can't smile. You sorry, low down thing. Amen. You got a $1,500 rifle in your closet. Yes, sir. Some of you got a $500 pair of Nike shoes on the bottom of your stinking feet. And you, and you can't smile. Amen. Let me tell you what you need. You need some wine poured in you. Yes, sir. I tell you, God, hey, I'm going to tell you something. When the night I got saved, I didn't walk out there going, boy, that was bad. <laughs> I ain't never got over it. Amen. Do I have bad days? Do I get mad? Do I get upset? Do I get in the flesh? Sure I do. Yeah. But down inside, there's been wine poured in. I'm happy about being saved. I'm happy about God calling me. I'm happy about having eternal life. I'm happy about being forgiven. I'm happy about a home in heaven. I've got the joy of the Lord. The wine of God is poured in. And when I see people that do not have joy, I wonder if they've ever had the wine poured in them. Yes, sir. Amen. Uh, don't you tell me a spiritual sector like a knot on a log. We're going to spend eternity praising and worshiping Almighty God. Amen. Now, he said he poured in all wine. Now, before I move on, I'm going to say something here tonight. I'm going to be honest with you. This Samaritan didn't pass by on the other side. He went to where he's at. Now, I'm going to tell you something. In in the Bible, let me get something squared away before I go here. And pray for me that I say things right. In the Bible, in the Old Testament, were prophecies of the coming Messiah and the signs that would accompany the Messiah coming to set up the kingdom in Israel. All right? That was their whole focus. Those, 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 Those religious Jews, their focus was a political spiritual Messiah who would come, conquer the Romans, conquer all their enemies, set up the Davidic kingdom, and go into eternity with God as their king. A monarchy. Not a monarchy, but a theocracy. When Jesus came, he came preaching, watch this, the kingdom. Okay? If you'll read your Bible carefully, he didn't come preaching the gospel. He came preaching the kingdom and John the Baptist preached it. Now, now what he was saying when he preached that was that I am the Messiah. All right. Some of them recognized him. 
they checked the scriptures and said, this man matches everything. Everything. And you can do that too. But by and large, they rejected him. Now here's what, stay with me. When Jesus was in that period of time in his ministry, a man was blind and the, the greatest effort you ever seen him go to to heal a blind man was having get clay and mix and put on there. Jesus would touch ears, touch their mouth, heal the dumb, the ones that couldn't speak. Instantly heal those with leprosy. Instantly raise people from the dead. Nobody sat and watched for three days to see if the hand moved or nothing. Everything he did was boom. Now you listen to me. When God saves a man, he does it instantly. Now, you may have to, it may take a while for you to get straight up with God and for you to honestly repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. But the moment you do, boom, God saves you. God spoke this world into existence. There's not an accumulation of millions of years. God said, God said, God said. And when God saves a man, he saves him instantly. Now, let's take it further. You go on through Jesus' ministry and there's people brings demon-possessed children to him. What did Jesus do? Boom! Out of there. Yeah. Power! Power! Constantly the power of God to change lives. Now I'm going to say something. Now hang on tonight because we're talking about a true, genuine story of the gospel and, and how God works. When Mark chapter 5, when Jesus crossed the sea and come out there on Genesaret, there met him a man out of the tombs with devils. God even tells you how many devils he had in him. He had 2,000 devils in that man. The Bible said that this man was crying constantly. He lived among the tombs cutting himself, yeah. weeping, and, and basically what you and I would call a maniac. Yes. Yeah. Tormented by these devils. And the Bible also says that they had bound him with chains and he'd break the chains. Now you're not talking about some of those kind of halfway, you can fool somebody deal here. Yeah. Come on. And when Jesus came into his presence, the devils recognized Jesus Christ and said, don't torment us before the time. Okay, now, the Bible tells you what Jesus did with him. Now, hang on to your seat just a minute because I'm going to say something that needs to be said in this country. He did not say, I want you to come down to our men's house for a recovery program. Now, this is going to get me in trouble with everybody across the country and I'm going to catch flack for it and I know it, but it's all right. Let me tell you what the government's doing in this country. The government has replaced the power of God with government programs, rehab centers, all kinds of programs and drugs to take to get off of that drug. Now I'm preaching now, okay? You get ready. I'll catch flack on this, but it's all right. It needs to be preached. I have a problem, and that problem is if I'm going to deal with something, I want to deal with it biblically. Not like everybody says you're supposed to do. You do not find Jesus Christ with a halfway house. 
You do not find Jesus with a men's home. You do not find Jesus with a ladies' home. When he came to the most demon-possessed, messed-up people you've ever met in your life, he dealt with them instantly and powerfully, and they were delivered. And I'm going to tell you something tonight. If our God, I'm a strong believer. You see, here's one of the reasons I am. Not just because what the Bible said. Now, let's back up here just a minute. I am not against anybody who's trying to reach anybody for Jesus. I'm for you, not against you. What I am thinking, we've got back up tonight and look at the Bible and say, what are the results and what's really going on? Because I'm going to say this. The government has all kinds of programs whereby there's money given to the people who institute the programs. If we're not careful, we're having, quote, spiritual programs, not because... But because there's money coming with it. Now, here's my problem. If you go back to the old days of evangelism in America, Whitfield, all them old time preachers, they held them meetings. Let me tell you something. In 1700s, this country was full of drunks, full of demon possessed people. It's called the Great Awakening. And this country was full of derelicts, and I mean craziness. Washington, D.C., during the Civil War, had more whorehouses than any city in the United States. It was loaded with whorehouses. It's a fact. And those men came into those areas, and they preached Christ crucified, the power of God. And they did not tell those people that we're going to fix you up on a seven-point program. You don't find though you can't go back in history and find any of those old powerhouse preachers who tried that stuff. They preached deliverance. Delivered, delivering, and deliverance in the name of Jesus Christ. I'm gonna tell you what I believe tonight. I believe that God, if He's got enough power to save Reg Kelly's soul instantly and give me eternal life, He's got enough power to break me from the bondage of addiction, the bondage of liquor, the bondage of pornography and I'm going to tell you something the last thing I need is to be running around with a bunch of other guys that's trying to get loose to why because your Bible says abstain from all appearance of evil let me give you something tonight I'm going to throw a hardball at you there's a reason that addicts do not come to this church are you listening to me because they know this church preaches repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. And they're going to have to fall at the foot of the cross, admit they're a sinner, can't help themselves, and no man can help them. And God, I need you. And I'm going to tell you something, the second that happens, you'll see the power of God break loose in this country like you ain't never seen it. And I'll tell you what, let me say something to you. Is God so weak that he's got to have a place for me to stay next week? No. I'm not against helping people. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm against is, is that we're replacing the power of the Holy Ghost and the delivering power of Almighty God with government programs, church ministries. There's not a sin chain around your neck tonight 
that God Almighty can't break it. If I don't believe that, I'll leave this pulpit tonight. If God can't break me from pot, if he can't break me from meth, if he can't break me from wine, if he can't break me from pornography, I don't want nothing to do with him because he ain't got no more power than nobody else. And I'm going to tell you something. We're dragging Jesus along with our little humanistic programs so it looks real good. But we've got another Jesus who does not have the power of God that gives a man repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. And I preach this with a broken heart and you guys can all get mad at me if you want to. But there's a reason that you don't want anything to do with this church. Number one, we're going to use the King James Bible. We're not using some mess. Number two, you don't like it because everybody dresses, women dress with dresses around here a lot. You, I want to tell you something. This church is made up of farmers. I run a sawmill. Am I some kind of super duper spiritual person? No, I live on a farm. Come on. Don't talk to me about, well, I don't feel comfortable up there. No, the problem is you don't want to come in here because you're afraid that the Holy Ghost would get a hold of you and lead you to repentance and faith in God and the games would be up. That's your problem. Yeah. So get ready. Amen. They'll take this message and chop it up and say he's condemning us on this and he don't want to help. No. And you'll chop it up and make it say what you want to say. But you better take this message and hold tonight. Yeah. I'm sad. I'm heartbroken. I want to say flat footed in the face of that camera tonight. I know the men of this church. I do not know a man in this church that wouldn't meet you at the altar. Amen. And fall down on his knees would pray with you. Yes. Amen. Ain't nobody in here acts too good to get on knees with you and love you and help you and be a blessing to you. Yes. Be a brother in Christ. Yes. Yes. But I'll tell you something. I'm afraid of this thing. I'm afraid we've got another Jesus and another spirit yes. that is dependent upon man's programs. And we've programmed the power of God out of this thing. Yes. And the Holy Ghost is backed up and said, you're on your own. Yes. Now that does not mean, that does not mean that people who are trying to help people in whatever way it may be, Lester Rolla, listen to me, some of you ain't going to like this. Some of you ain't been to Baptist, gonna, your, your hair is going to curl up right now. <laughs> Lester Roloff was a great man of God. Amen. He had men's homes. My problem with him was I never could find it in the Bible. Oh, and I'm going to tell you something else. He had a lot of trouble with God ordained authority. Yeah, are you listening to me? He's a giant in faith. I'm an ant. Not condemning him. I'm just saying, I think he should have really backed up and said, where in the scripture is what I'm doing at? Where's the pattern at? <clears throat> I just, I, one of the girls' homes came here one time. And I'm, I'm not against helping people. Came here one time. Never forget there's a nice looking redheaded girl there, probably in her late 20s. And the girls were all singing and boy, it just was so great. <clears throat> Found out just a few weeks after they left here that she ran off with a guy. Stole away from the home and ran off with a guy. Had him pick her up. She was up here singing. Now listen to me. I'm, I'm, I know that's just one little example. I'm not, I'm, I, here's what I'm telling you. You know what she really needed? It wasn't a home for girls. She needed a new heart. Amen. Let me tell you something. You can't lock, put enough locks on doors, right. build enough fences. Come on. That's right. That's right. Amen. Come on. 
It's just like you kids. You're going to rebel against your, your mom and daddy. You'll figure out a way to climb out the window. There's going to be something more powerful than mom and daddy's home you live in. You follow me? There's going to have to be something more powerful than some kind of man's institutions. Now, again tonight, you go out here and say, oh, Reggie, he's against uh, all these programs. Well, I've got a deep question about it. Because let me tell you what Jesus did with this man. Read your Bible. What did you do with this man? Let's read your Bible. You're going to find out how Jesus, you're going to find Jesus' recovery program tonight. Yeah. <laughs> everybody, everybody still happy? Amen. Everybody still happy? Amen. All you online, have you shut me off? Okay. <laughs> Look what happened. He set him on his own beast. Now I'm going to say something about that. Did you know what Jesus Christ did when he saves us? We're seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. He sets us in his own seat. Just like that story tells you. Isn't that something? That's amazing. That's the Holy Ghost. That ain't some man wrote that. We're joint heirs with Jesus Christ. We sit in the seat with Christ. We reign and rule with Jesus Christ on his throne. Read your Bible. Now then it says something he did. And he brought him to an end. Hmm. What's an end? Temporary place to stay. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. Church. He brought him to the church. The end here is a picture of the church. Can I tell you something tonight? That when God saves you, he is not going to leave you out there on the right side of the road. He is going to take you to his church. You like this? I don't care if you like it or not. This Bible. He set him on his own seat there and took him to the inn. When God saves a man, he puts him in the church. And he tells the church and the host of the inn, take care of him. Amen. Amen. He said, how are you going to take care of him? We ain't going to feed him. Going to have some water. Going to have some love. Going to have some compassion. Going to preach preach at him. Going to love him. Amen. Amen. I'm going to tell you something. This is a picture of the church. And Jesus said, you can get your your Bibles. Jesus gave him two pence. Now, I don't sound like most of you and I, but it was equivalent to what needed to be taken care of in that day. And he said, I'll tell you what, if you spend more than that, he said, watch your Bible. Look at your Bible. When I come again. This has even got the second coming of Jesus Christ in it. When I come again. And here's what God does. Here's God's recovery. Hey, here's God's recovery program. He's going to take you. He's going to pick you up, wash you up, pour the Holy Ghost in you, pour the wine of God in you. He's going to wind up your wounds. He's going to put you on his beast, take you to the church. Amen. Hey, when somebody tells me they don't need the church, I just, I just shake my head and say they're crazy. You need the church. Jesus, hey, this, this good Samaritan left. Our Savior went back to heaven. He left the care of the saved, the new Christians in the care of the church. He said, well, I wish they'd have a Bible study. We do. I mean, how much do you want? <laughs> That's what gets me. You want some kind of a special program. I want to tell you something. There's a reason I don't have something going Monday night and Tuesday night and Thursday night and Friday night and Saturday night. I preach and preach you have a home and then I got something going every night. That's craziness. You need to be home. 
You need to be having Bible study in your home. You want more Bible study? Get your Bible open. Get your, we'll give you a Bible. We'll give you a concordance. Study to your heart's desire. Amen. You come in here. I'll tell you what to do. New man, saved man. I'll tell you what, let's just say tonight that he comes in here. He, he'd been as drunk as a skunk, done every kind of drug you can imagine, but he got saved. And he wobbles in here. And I'll tell you what, I guarantee you, I guarantee you, if you'll be faithful to be at the end, God will change him and change him fast. You cannot sit in church where they're preaching and teaching the Bible and not get changed. Because the Bible says, that's not my word for it, that's God's word. He changes us from glory to glory, even as by the spirit of the Lord. And you come, you say, well, I don't know if I got much about it, but God's working in you. You know, I've had a lot of shots and didn't think they did me no good till a little later. I took a few aspirins and didn't think it knocked my headache till a little later. Okay, sometimes it's later on down the road that what you heard, the Holy Ghost is going to work it into your life. I'm just being honest with you tonight. I want to invite every drug addict. I want to invite every drunk. I want to invite every shacked up couple to come to this church. We'll love you. We'll not condemn you, but we're going to preach at you. Amen. And we're going to tell you the truth. And if you'll repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, become a brother and sister, you'll be shocked at what God will do in your life. And I'll tell you what you, and you say, well, I ain't got no place to stay. Well, I'll tell you what, I'll put you in my old RV down there in the yard. (laughs) Wouldn't it be a shock though to find out that God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory? Wouldn't it be a shock that when you get off all that junk, you've got money to do stuff with? Yeah. 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 We're living in donkey land in America. (laughs) Blaming crime and stealing and killing. Oh, on poverty. Oh, really? Your ancestors come across this ocean, took out across this land with nothing. Oh, wanting the government to help them. There wasn't none. And they're glad. That's kind of people. Amen. Well, anyway, let's go on down and get done. He set him on his beast, brought him to an end, and took care of him. And on the morrow when he departed, and that's what the Lord did, he left out again, went to heaven, interceding at the right hand of God for us, took out two pence, gave them to the host, and said unto him, take care of him. I believe that host is the pastor. I'm serious with you. Take care of him. And whatsoever thou spendest more. God said, if you put more into that guy than I gave you, watch what he said. When I come again, I'll repay thee. You think God's going to lie? God's going to repay. I don't know whether you got any good out of this message or not tonight, but I hope you did. I'm going to tell you right. We got a God something else. I don't know what happened to my notes. They got lost back there somewhere. Amen. Boy, I'm going to tell you something. And I want to say clearly again tonight, I'm not against any ministry. I'm for you. I just ask you to examine and see, are you doing it biblically? Are you substituting what you think is a good thing for the power of Almighty God? I just believe with all my heart. You say, did it take time for that guy to heal up? Why, sure. It takes time to heal. Yeah. You don't just heal up overnight. Healing takes time. But how is it going to be healed? Where is it going to go to get healed? I'm not a stranger to this country. There are country churches and churches in all these small towns almost more than you can count. 
Yeah. No one should listen to me tight tonight. No, we'll close, let you go home. <clears throat> I preached in lots of them. Some of them I preached in had five people in them. Three. Some of them had 50. Some of them had 100. Van, you're in all kinds of churches. I do not know of a church that wouldn't welcome an addict or a drunk in their church and love them. Do you? I honestly don't. I'm hearing all this talk about, well, we don't feel comfortable in these regular churches. Danny, do you know of a church out here that where, where somebody like that walked in, everybody would go, oh, I don't, want him, I don't want him near me. I don't know of one. I've been listening to this garbage till I'm sick of it. I'm tired of it, Terry. I'm not taking it anymore. They'll make churches out to be Pharisees and they won't even come in to check it out. And sit out there and talk like everybody's too, oh, they think they're spiritual down there and they home educate and they, and they wear girls wear dresses and, 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 and blah, blah, blah. And he preaches against divorce and blah, 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 blah. Okay, well, that's what the Bible, I'm just preaching the Bible. And worse than that, they want you to have babies. What's your Bible say? Be fruitful, multiply, replace your I told somebody today this. Somebody walked up to me today and said, Reggie, this church, what would it be without all these young people? Yeah. I said, be about dead. And I said to that person who talked to me this, years ago when I preached on having babies was the worst attack I ever had in my life as a preacher. I was pegged as a cultist, a cult leader, that they was going to, I literally, literally, they were saying, there were people, I can tell you their names, but I'm not going to, who were telling all over Norwood that you'd find us all dead up here with Kool-Aid glasses. <laughs> over the issue of encouraging people to have children. Yes, sir. Now, y'all look at me like that's crazy. But out here in the world, they think it's crazy. Because they went to the school and been told, you know, We've got overpopulation and you need to control the birth control and you need to, and you need to disobey God. That's what you need to do. You tell me tonight, one reason God's blessed this church, brother, is because we said, God, to give us the children that you want. That's why God's blessed this church. You want to know why there was all them boys up there singing this morning? Where do you think they came from? Out of a cracker, cracker, cracker jack box? You see a hundred, about 150 girls out there today. Where do you think they came in on a box of cereal inside the box of cereal? They came from people who trusted God. Amen. And God has blessed this church. Amen. And I'm not ashamed of it. No, I'm not backing up on it. Amen. Best thing ever happened. Yeah. And I know some of you believe it because you got a lot of kids. <laughs> Let's stand together. I better quit. Amen.